happy Mother's Day. I'm so thankful for that video. Just a, just a reminder of the touch that moms have on so many and the impact that you have, moms. We want to thank you today. A happy Mother's Day. Uh, good morning, church family, CF family and friends. We're so glad that you're here with us. I, I trust that you're uh, around your laptop or your TV watching uh, through live streaming. And uh, I pray that you have your Bibles and hopefully you're, you're with your mom today and in some way and, and uh, sharing this day, this time with her. I want to thank my mom. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Thank you so much, mom, for all that you have done through the years and preparing me for life. I know that uh, mothers have a thankless job. Many times mothers do so much that are behind the scenes that kids don't even, uh, can't even begin to understand the magnitude of of what their mothers are doing. Uh, I remember years ago when when Leslie, my wife and I, we were, uh, we became house parents, moved out to New Mexico, and we had nine girls living with us. And that first week we were there, I remember calling my mom and my dad and, and thanking them over and over repeatedly for all that they had done for us and thanking my mom for staying in there uh, in the fight for her children uh, spiritually, physically, in every way. I want to, before we get into the message, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. We'll start with that passage today and while you're turning there, I just want to encourage you moms, because I know that in the world we live in today, there are moms in many different contexts of families. There, there are moms that are in a marriage relationship, husbands engaging uh, with the wife and the rearing of their children, husbands active in teaching the kids the word of God. Mom is that helpmate walking and working with him, rearing the kids in the ways of the Lord. There are moms who are in a relationship, marriage relationship, where the dad is just non-existent spiritually, and he may not be the spiritual leader in the home. And so as a mom, spiritually, you may feel like a single mom. And so I pray that today, uh, no matter the, the situation you find yourself in, that you will be encouraged by God's word today. And so you may feel alone even in the middle of a relationship. There are single moms today that are struggling to rear their kids in the ways of the Lord and just fighting to hang on in life. And so I pray that today the Word of God will encourage you. There are uh, moms who have adopted kids. There are moms that are just uh, their mom in every sense of the word. Uh, they love their children. Maybe physically they weren't able to, to bear children, but they have children and they, they're living out that role and they love their, their kids and... and um, desiring to rear them in the ways of the Lord, but we have spiritual mothers as well that are seeking to guide uh, those who do not have physically have a mom. And so whatever context you may find yourself in today as a mom, I just want to encourage you because our world has taken the role of the mother and really uh, emphasized that, that that's the, the lesser role of the woman, that our world that we live in has uh, encourage women to step out of their role as a mother, as a wife, and step out into the world and, and pursue their interest, uh, maybe as in a career, um, life outside of that family relationship. But I want to bring us back to the Word of God and remind you, moms, there is no greater role that you can fill on this planet today than being a wife and a mother. You have the opportunity 
to not only impact hundreds, but literally thousands of people as you lead your children to the Word of God, as you encourage them in the Word of God, as you demonstrate in, in your marriage relationship with a husband uh, what this relationship with Jesus Christ uh, can look like and, and how your kids can learn from that, that love relationship. And so you have a great opportunity, moms. And I, I just pray that as we're walking through the Word of God today that you will be encouraged, uh, that you'll be challenged uh, but also God's word will equip you in such a way that you're ready. Uh, no matter what has happened in the past, no matter how you've served as a mother in the past, today, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And so that you'll seize this day. And uh, I had a good friend, I have a good friend, who uh, told me years ago, as long as I have breath, it's never too late to do the right thing. And so, again, as Paul would say, I, I can't do anything about the past. But what I do is I, I strive forward. I press on. And so we want to encourage our mothers today to press on and as, as moms. And so if you would, uh, let's follow along in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verses 10 and then following down to verse 17. For Paul says to Timothy, he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, Father God, you've revealed yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. The revelation as to who this holy God is. Lord, we, we see Christ. We see the son of God in scripture and we see the life that you lived, Jesus. And we see how you were that suffering servant, how you gave your all, you gave your life to be that sacrifice for our sins. What an incredible love that the father has for the son and the son for the father and how through the love of the father and his love for the world, the father would give his son, his only begotten son, that we might have salvation the forgiveness of sins, that we might be moved off of the road of perishing into the blessed life eternal through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for being so gracious, so kind, and so gentle with us. Thank you for your sacrificial love and mercy. Now today, as we walk through the scripture, Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged. I pray that, Lord, we would not shrink back, but we would press on in our faith. Lord, we love you. I pray that you'd anoint the reading of your word and bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, I, I felt led to, to start with 2 Timothy chapter 3 because moms, you have a challenge. 
you have an incredible opportunity to share the greatest love story ever in history. This incredible love of the Father for the Son and this incredible love that that God as creator would have for his creation. You have the opportunity to share that story with your children so that they might have eternal life, that they might be led to that place where that one day they would choose to trust Christ as their Savior. Again, you have the opportunity to tell the greatest love story that's ever been told, that would lead to the greatest life story that's ever been told. What do I mean by that? I mean the, the life of Jesus Christ. So that through faith in Jesus Christ, our children will have the opportunity to live the greatest life possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is nearing the end of his life. He is poured into Timothy. And Timothy, as Paul has has possibly heard, that he may be shrinking back in fear and he may be... um, struggling with continuing in his faith. And and Paul is concerned that he might abandon or be ashamed of the gospel that Paul has been preaching. And Paul is suffering. He's in prison. He writes to Timothy and he says, he reminds him in chapter one, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt where? In his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. And I am sure that is in you as well. And so Paul says, for this reason, I'm reminding you, Timothy, to to do something. And that's to rekindle, kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Where he prayed for Timothy. He um, had blessed Timothy and taught Timothy. And then he reminds Timothy in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He's going to encourage Timothy to endure, persevere, continue on in the faith, because on this side of heaven, on this side of the resurrection, we're going to face hardships. We're going to have to have an attitude of perseverance as you've heard many times as we walk through the word. In chapter 2, he speaks of this endurance of the one who's serving the Lord. In chapter 3, as, as we move into that, Paul reminds Timothy that in the last days, difficult times will come. And there will be those who will fall away from the faith. There will be those that will turn away. But in verse 10, he says, he reminds Timothy You followed my teaching. You followed my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions. He reminds Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And then in verse 13, as we read, these evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, there'll be those who will try to deceive you. There will be those who will try to lead you astray. But in verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. In that verse, it's a very powerful verse because it points us back to someone who has taught Timothy. It is, it is not only someone who has taught Timothy, but what Timothy has been taught. He's been taught Scripture. He's been taught the Word of God. And this teaching is not something, as you see in verse 14, something that is just head knowledge. What has happened? It's moved to the heart. It has become a part of his conviction. And many times uh, we've said that out of the heart or out of our belief, our behavior comes. And so Paul's reminding Timothy, Timothy, these things you've learned, they've become a core conviction, a part of your character, a part of who you are. 
And this comes out of you being taught. Knowing from whom, in verse 14, knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, where did he learn them? Well, it began in his childhood. In verse 15, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Again, chapter 1, Timothy had a grandmother and he had a mother that taught him the word of God. The sacred writings. They encouraged him in the faith. He was part of going to the synagogue. And scripture says that his father was a a Gentile. He was a Greek. And so uh, we don't know uh, his father's involvement in his life, but we do know that he had a grandma and a mom that poured into him, that encouraged him. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings. Now look at what these sacred writings, the Word of God, is able to do. It's able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest love story, moms, that you could ever share with your children. The love of God and his love for mankind. And how through Christ he would give his son to die for our sins. The greatest love story ever told. That our children would be reared in the ways of the Lord. I'm I'm not going to negate the role of the father. I'm not going to take away from his role to lead out in the family, to lead out in the marriage relationship. But what I do want to stress is that wives, mothers, you are a part of that teaching the children. You're a part of them catching the teaching. From verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, uh, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What's Paul saying there? That God's word gives us the ability to know what's right, to know when we're not in the right, to know how to get right with God, and to know how to stay right with him The Word of God enables us to live that kind of life. And so as we come to faith in Christ and we're we're brought into this relationship with the Holy God through faith in Jesus Christ, He then enables us to live life according to His standard. Now, we we know we're all going to fall short. We know we're going to miss the mark. But praise God that through faith in Christ, we get to celebrate grace. So in verse 17, It's the word of God that enables the man of God to be adequate, equipped. In other words, complete for every good work. As I was walking through this text and I'm thinking about, moms, how you have the opportunity to share the greatest love story ever. I went back to Genesis where it all began. Because I think about the sacred writings, I think about what uh, Paul uh, would teach Timothy and how the gospel, Christ, Jesus Christ, would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the one they they had been waiting for. I think about how it all began there in the beginning of creation. And we we see in Genesis, again, if we're going to talk about the greatest love story ever, we we need to understand how this story began. And, And so we see God's gracious provision in Genesis I mean, Genesis 1, where God would create Adam and Eve. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, male and female. He created them. 
And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said in verse 29, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Adam and Eve made in the image of God. They were complete. They were whole. They were without sin. The counterpart to this passage is found in Genesis 2 where there's a, uh, God gives us more detail as to this uh, Adam that he created in Eve and the creation of Eve. In verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. So in verse 20, Adam gives them names, but there was, there was not found a helper suitor, suitable for him. So what did God do? Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24 is a very important verse for us. Because for this reason, he says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What has God revealed to us here in Genesis? At the beginning of creation, God creates everything. He provides everything for Adam and Eve. He creates Adam and Eve in his own image. He places them in a, in a creation, in a garden, that everything they needed to fulfill their identity and purpose as an image bearer was given to them. God's gracious provision. Adam not having a suitable helper, God even fashioned a helper for him. Adam would not be able to fulfill his purpose in, uh, in ruling over the earth. As we saw in chapter 1, he would not be able to do that alone. He needed a helper suitable for him, so God fashions the woman. And then verse 24, again, this incredible verse that speaks of an incredible relationship. What, is it, what do we see there in verse 24? We see a unique relationship where as image bearers, this man and the woman coming together, they are, um, it's an exclusive relationship. The exclusivity of this relationship, there's no other relationship like it in the world. Not only is it an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman, but it's a relationship where they're joined together. They make a covenant. It is to be a lifelong covenant. And in that covenant, becoming husband and wife, it says that they shall become one flesh. When it says one flesh, what is, what is he saying there? Well, we know that when we look in Scripture, we see that as a people, we are to be one in the body of Christ. And what would that oneness be like? It would, well, for Adam and Eve and, and for God's people, uh, one purpose. There would be uh, one purpose, one identity 
as image bearers, they would be united in that purpose, united in identity. There would be no division in the direction that they would be heading. As Adam and Eve would set forth to fulfill what God had commanded them to do, to be fruitful and multiply, only in this relationship would they be able to be fruitful and multiply. What does it mean by that? What is Scripture saying? God had commanded them to have offspring as image bearers. Out of their love relationship, their covenant relationship, they would be able to produce more image bearers. They would be the manifestation of the image of God here on earth. But what did we see happen? Eve's deceived and Adam disobeys God. They reject God's provision uh, to fulfill uh, his commandment. And then in, verse, in chapter 3, we see where God confronts uh, Adam and Eve. He confronts the serpent. And in verse 15, he says of chapter 3, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. The battle is on. The war begins. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, speaking of Christ's second coming, and you shall bruise him on the heel, speaking of when Christ would be crucified. And so we would see this enmity beginning between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But in verse 16, he says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain. Some translations would say sorrow in childbirth, in pain. In the New American Standard, it says, in pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What is going on here? God, because Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against their creator, their creator God, what is happening is that the curse has come upon the earth and and Adam is fallen into sin. He has chosen to rebel against God, and Adam is cursed. But we also see in that chapter, in verse 15, the first prophecy of the coming king, the first prophecy of the one who would die for the sins of the world. In verse 20 of chapter 3, we see Adam still demonstrating, even in the midst of being confronted by God and, and sinning against God. In verse 20, we see the testimony of his faith where he says, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. What's Adam saying just in the name uh, for Eve? She's the mother of all the living, not mother of all the dead, but the mother of the living. As you see this story play out, this greatest love story ever, we see the, the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and knowing that, that God is going to bring about the resurrection for those who had faith in him, those who would be looking to him. Verse 21, we see where God uh, reveals to us that man's attempt to cover his nakedness uh, is inadequate. And in order to come before God, they needed to be covered. And we see that covering in verse 21, where the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Imagine in that moment where Adam and Eve have sinned against their creator, and they see the horrifying effects of their sin, where an, where an animal's life is taken, where blood is shed because of their sin. They see this gruesome sacrifice on their behalf that they might be covered. And thus, as we move through Scripture, we see a man looking for the one who would fulfill this first prophecy, for the one who would fulfill that needed covering. 
As you see in chapter 5 of, of Genesis, you see the generations of Adam, and we see them unfolding where Scripture's not concerned about the seed of the serpent. He's concerned, the Scripture's concerned about the seed of the woman as they're looking forward to the Christ, the one who would come. And so as we, again, just moving through the story, what we see happening as, as sin would mar the relationship with God and him, Adam and Eve being an image bearer, what we see is that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, would enable us to once again be image bearers. As we, as we look to the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, what do we see? We see, again, a reference. Paul would reference Genesis. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. But in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come, the one who was to come, Jesus Christ. Again, all of the Old Testament looking for this coming one who would redeem mankind, looking for this one who would be the Savior of the world. And then comes Christ. Luke 3, the genealogy of Jesus is, is given, and uh, we see we're going all the way back from Jesus, his earthly father being Joseph, and Luke would give uh, the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back, as we see in verse 38, going all the way back to Genesis, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, who was the son of God, referencing that Adam was created by God. And so Jesus Christ the one that they had been looking for, the one that they would always anticipating as a, as a mother, the seed of the woman, as she would give birth to a child. Is this the one? Is this the one? Finally, the one came, and the Apostle John would say in John 3, 16, that we reference so many times, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Death, the penalty for sin, yet through Christ, faith in Christ, we have forgiveness. And as Christ was resurrected, we shall be also. Scripture, this sacred writings that, that Timothy would learn, that Paul would teach him about Christ being the fulfillment of these sacred writings, where Timothy would learn these from an early age, the, the sacred writings, and how this would point him to where salvation would come from. When the time was right, as Paul shares the gospel, the good news, because Timothy knew the writings, he knew the revelation of God, he was ready to receive Christ, to trust Christ as his Savior. And we see the fulfillment of this relationship taking place in Timothy. Um, but now, as a church, for Timothy, for the church, uh, the early church, the beginning of the church, and for us today as we have been grafted in through faith and we have become a part of the church, what do we see happening in Scripture? We see Paul referencing, referencing that marriage relationship again. In Ephesians 5, what do we see happening? Where Paul speaks of this marriage relationship, he speaks of the husband and wife and how the wife is to subject herself to the leadership of the husband. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. What is he doing? He's going to be pointing back to Adam and Eve in this marriage relationship. It says he himself being the Savior of the body. That's Christ. 
But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Then we see, in, even in chapter 5 of Ephesians, the exclusivity of this relationship. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What is Paul doing? He, he's talking about the church, as we'll see later on in these verses. He's talking about this relationship between Christ and the church, and he's going to point back to the marriage relationship, even in the beginning of Genesis, and how uh, this unique relationship through this relationship between a man and a woman, the husband and the wife, uh, their, their command from God was to be image bearers. Sin mars the image bearer. And yet now through Christ, in this relationship with him, what are we able to do? Once again, be image bearers. The word of God would lead to this relationship. The word of God would cleanse us. He says, sanctify us. What's he saying? Setting us apart for the exclusive relationship with Christ. He would say in verse 28 that husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. In verse 31, he says, For this reason, here's that reference going all the way back to Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Through faith in Christ, we, the church, are brought into this love relationship with Jesus Christ. We are brought into this right relationship. It is an exclusive relationship. It's like no other relationship in the planet or outside of the planet. We're made right with a holy God. And through this covenant relationship, uh, we are enabled to once again be image bearers. And we are able, out of this love relationship with Jesus, as we are a part of his body, as we are joined with Christ, as we share our relationship with Christ with others, other people are able to then receive Christ through faith and forgiveness of sins. And they are able to be birthed into the body of Christ. They're, they're enabled to be a part of the family of God. And we are able to multiply, to bear forth fruit in a world that we live in that's been scarred by sin. Paul would say, and giving this example of, of the marriage relationship, he's, he says, I'm talking about the church. But even so, husbands, love your wives this way. Um, there's a little more that we can glean from this. Uh, look at the relationship. Christ suffers. Christ sacrifices himself for the bride, for his bride. I look back at the gracious provision in the beginning in Genesis, and Adam and Eve would reject that provision. In order for God to create, he simply just had to speak. But in order for God to save, what did he have to do? His servant had to suffer. And so Christ, he went to that cross that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might be able to be brought into this relationship with Christ. What an amazing love story. Now, I, I guys, 
you're there with your families, maybe uh, the whole family's there in the, in the living room, wherever you're watching this sermon. And, and guys, some of you say, man, I'm just not into love stories. I, 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 you, you may be fooling yourself, but everybody loves a story and everybody really loves a great love story. How do I know that? Have you ever watched the Hallmark Channel? Uh, the Hallmark Channel, it's not even many times a good story. I mean, you know how it's going to end. You know, you know the parts of the movie. You know how it's all going to turn out, yet, yet you, you stay focused in because you just want to see the fulfillment of this love story coming to fruition. Now, guys, you can, you can fool some people, but you, you love a good story, and you love a, a great love story as well, just as much as your bride. You may not just want to admit it, but, but guys, um, that's the relationship we're in. And, and wives, mothers, if you're in this marriage relationship and you're trying to, to, to join with your husband and rear your children in the best way possible by teaching them the Word of God and being part of that, I know your husband will fail you. I know Adam failed Eve. I know that husbands thereafter have, have failed uh, the wife miserably at times. You know, what, get, what, what are you able to do, mothers, in the midst of that relationship you get to demonstrate the love of Christ to the husband, that even when he fails, even when he's not faithful, you get to demonstrate uh, this covenant relationship, staying committed, and you get to teach your children an incredible lesson about what it means to be faithful to God, what it means to be faithful to this relationship with Christ, to endure, to persevere, to continue on. Paul would say to the church at Colossae, he would say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He would go on to say that this Christ, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, and that, that Christ, through this relationship with him, what are we enabled to do? To bear his image. We saw that in Romans 8 last week, how God uses all things. He, he uses all things to work together this good that he's after in us, and that is the fashioning of Christ in us, the witness of Christ in us, that we would bear his image. In verse 29, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, conformed to the image of his son. Paul would say that in this being conformed to the image of Christ, just as Christ suffered, we also will suffer. Paul would say that's the course for us. And so, mothers, as you are living out your faith, you have the opportunity to share the greatest love story ever so that you can share this greatest life, this life of Christ, so that your children would be able to possibly live through faith in Christ. And when I say possibly... Uh, that they're ready, that in that moment when they would trust Christ as Savior, through the Word of God, as they are taught the Word of God, they are enabled to, to live the best possible life ever. Well, let me make sure that, that we understand what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying the best possible life on this side of death. Faith in Christ begins this relationship with the Holy God. What we're looking for is eternity. We're looking for that resurrection. The best life possible will come, will be manifested after the resurrection. We are with Christ and in his presence. 
Moms, I, 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 I just want to encourage you. Stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Share the word of God. Pray for your children. One thing that, well, two things that I'm very thankful for with my mom. Uh, she, she was a single mom for the first five, six years of, of my life. And there were two things that my mom made sure that I knew. One was the word of God. She read the word of God to me. She told me the stories found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. She made sure that I knew God's word even before I professed faith in Christ Jesus. And also, here's another thing that I saw her do. She made sure that I knew the power of prayer. There were times when my mother would pray for me. She would pray over me. She didn't know exactly how to pray. She was never taught how to, uh, how to pray. And she just knew the God's word, and she just did what, what she knew to do. And that, God's word says pray, and so she would pray. She would come against the enemy over my life. She would, there were times as a teenager in rebellion, she would come into my room. She thought I was asleep, but, uh, but I wasn't. I heard her praying. She'd raise the window of my bedroom and she'd say, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, you get out of his life. You have no right over my son. He is a child of the king. He's born again. He's in the body of Christ. And she would continue to pray. She would fight through prayer and the word of God on my behalf. And through the testimony of the word of God, this incredible love relationship, when I came to that point at the end of my rebellion, I was at the end of myself I knew what to do. I knew how to come home. I knew how to, how to repent. I knew how to get right with God, as, as Paul would say to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3. He would say, for what is right. Uh, he would say, for what is uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I knew how to come home. So moms, today, your children may not be where they are. Persevere, endure. Keep being the example. Keep demonstrating the love of Christ in the relationships that you find yourself in. And continue pointing your kids to faith in Jesus Christ. I'll end with a a contrast of two two moms. They were both single moms. And when I was the administrator at Miracle Farm for boys, uh, we found ourselves working with with single moms, with with parents, marriages intact, uh, marriages split apart. And there was a mom who who was uh, working with us on behalf of her son. They're both there, and we're at the family program, and we're working through some exercises at the ropes course. And and the mom found herself herself that day leaving her son behind in the exercise that we were walking through. And she said, you know, for the first time in my life, I realized I've been focused on myself and I've left my son uh, to fend for himself. Contrast that with another mother who knew Christ, who was working as a single mom to provide for her, her boys. And she had a special needs son and then she had her son there at Miracle Farm. And her statement to us would be, I just want him to know that he has the possibility, the opportunity to experience life to its fullest through faith in Jesus Christ. And I need help. And I'm here seeking that help. That mom was persevering. She was staying in after it on behalf of her children, on behalf of her boys. Moms don't quit. Stay in the fight. Stay after the faith. Endure to the end. So, moms, there's no one like you. 
you have the opportunity to literally impact generations. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. Fight for your kids. I want to ask Alan, if you would, uh, come and, and close us out in prayer. And I, I just want to thank you, church family. Thank you, uh, David Klingler, for last week jumping in at, at a moment's notice. And, and uh, Alan was under the weather, and I was, uh, had a family emergency. And so I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very thankful for this church family. As Alan comes to close us out in the prayer, uh, brothers and sisters in the faith, we're in the fight. Stay after it.